modified living spaces all across Metro Detroit, this is Beeple People, a podcast created and inspired by the staff at Baldwin Public Library in Birmingham, Michigan. Today, you're going to hear from local crafter Jody Lynn of Jody Lynn Doodles. Jody is a local illustrator and artist. We're going to hear about how she got started, her favorite mediums, as well as where she draws her inspiration. We'll also be giving reviews of Creative Bug, a crafting service that provides tutorials and step-by-step instructions to making your own crafts. Later in the show, you'll hear from Ethan. I'm Ethan. Cynthia. I'm Cynthia. And H. I'm H. And I'm your friendly producer, Jeff. Okay, very cool. And H, this next bit is all you. Okay. For my foray into Creative Bug, I watched Roll With It, Back to School Ideas with Scotch Tape. My not-so-secret shame is that I'm one of those monsters who loves infomercials. I love that the transitions are predictable and there's no real narrative that I have to follow. I love the background art and slow edits. I love infomercials. I love that they're really dry and the whole thing is to convince me that I should get something I probably don't need but might make me a little happier. Roll With It was a video about scotch tape. Can there be a video that could possibly sound more dull than scotch tape? I mean, at least if you're watching paint dry, you're engaging two senses. You've got sight and sound. Maybe three if you're one of those people who keeps touching to see if it's done yet. But Creative Bug is so much more than I expected. My presenter, Courtney Cerruti, showed me that there are multiple types of scotch tape. I mean, I knew that there were different kinds, but I always just grabbed whatever I could actually reach. The tape is kept surprisingly high. I was familiar with the unique qualities of gift wrap tape, shout out to Adventures in Toys where I was employed as a gift wrapper, but the video I watched showed me five types of scotch tape. The tape is color-coded, which I understood but also never paid attention to, and the host goes through all the types, their uses, and best applications. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about the episode itself because I have a feeling it'll sound like Bubba and Forrest talking about tape instead of shrimp, but it was informative and interesting. I also bought six rolls of tape on my most recent foray out of the house. I went to Costco looking for food and detergent. I came back with food, detergent, scissors that were mentioned in the training, and tape. Favorite things about Creative Bug. The background looks like anthropology or urban outfitters. There are closed captions that you can turn on, and the videos are almost bite-sized in length. People go to YouTube to find out how to do everything now, and that's great because it's a free resource. It's also sometimes not great because it's a free resource. People can and will put anything on YouTube, and you've got commercials, and not the fun ones like the infomercials, and they're interrupting your learning. Creative Bug has skilled artists walk you through a process step-by-step and include a materials list and printable PDFs for you to use as handouts if you need them. You know that question you get asked as you check out of every store, did you find everything you need today? I always tell the clerk the truth. I'll know in about 20 minutes. With Creative Bug's built-in resources, I don't have to give them my sad answer. I can check everything off the list that Creative Bug wrote up for me. I've also been testing it on the other people who live in my house, and they seem to be fans of the service as well. 
I can relax in the knowledge that with Creative Bug, I don't have to be concerned about the content. I know that I'm getting professionals without any extraneous dialogue or uncomfortable commentary. Interesting thing about Scotch tape. Um, when 3M was testing its masking tape uh, in the 20s, um, they sent it out to a bunch of professionals to try it out. And one of the, one of the places they sent it was to a, an auto body painter who was using some of their first formulas for masking tape. And at the time in the 20s, uh, the word scotch meant like um, frugal to a fault, like uh, uh, unwilling to spend money, you oh. know, cheap. It basically meant cheap, <laughs> stodgy, stingy. Um, and uh, he said something like, uh, you know, he called it scotch, cha scotch tape as as a derogatory term, you know, like take this scotch tape away, tell them to put more adhesive on it. And, uh, for some reason, the three M company thought that that was kind of funny and they used the term scotch tape as the official name brand. So what started as an insult to their product became the actual name for the thing. Oh, they reclaimed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they took it back. <laughs> And good for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are the alternatives? Mild strength adhesive? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's boring. And at least with scotch, they get to put a fun little, you know, bit of tartan on their packaging as well. I always enjoy that little piece right at the beginning. Yep. That's yeah. I wish you could get a whole roll that was just the tartan, all tartan. <laughs> And now, Cynthia shares her thoughts about Creative Bug. Take it away, Cynthia! My thoughts as I looked at Creative Bug were that Creative Bug has some really cool looking classes. Basic line drawing, Halloween paper doll witches, cake decorating, and a ton of kid content. A couple of classes that caught my eye in the kids section were some fun makeup tutorials suggested for Halloween. My child is super into special effects makeup right now and would probably be really into those tutorials. At my house, any time of year is gory makeup time. I also took a look at their instructor page and was pretty impressed. Amy Butler has some classes on there. She's a really famous designer of fabric and patterns. Betts White is another one of Creative Bug's instructors. She's written books I've read on fiber crafts. I even have some of her crochet patterns. Stephanie Fleming works for Me and My Big Ideas, maker of the Happy Planner. I gotta say, I love the Happy Planner. Their line of notebooks, planners, stickers is amazing. It seems like Creative Bug's instructors are really top notch. The tutorial I chose to make was the Halloween Paper Doll Witches. Basically, this is a vintage looking paper doll. It looked like the kind of craft I would love to see and perhaps even buy at an art fair, but probably would never take the time to make myself. But since I'm getting paid to try out Creative Bug and talk about it, I did. Don't let this project's name make you think this is just a Halloween craft though. You could easily take these techniques and make any kind of art doll you'd like. 
You can make a fairy, a princess, a clown, whatever your heart desires. This class is taught by Courtney Ceruti, who was clear, concise, and an impressive crafter. I really liked that the videos are broken up into segments, introduction, embellishments, which is great because you can watch the introduction that if you like it and want to make it, it's a perfect stopping point to gather your supplies. I also like the fact that this craft used things most people have lying around the house, like cupcake liners. To begin though, you need to have a piece of clip art to collage upon. She sourced her clip art of a vintage lady from a Dover clip art book that'll set you back $15, but with some good Google foo, you can find images that you can use, which is exactly what I did. After printing my art doll base, I got together glue, paper, scissors, a few other odds and ends that I had lying around. I then played the video and followed right along. I now have a mostly finished art doll that is quite lovely. I say mostly finished because anything I could use for her hair is in the garage right now and I'm too lazy to go out there and find the yarn. One tip I would suggest is if you're going to try this at home is to use pretty heavy cardstock to print your image on or mount your image to cardboard or chipboard because it definitely needs to be strong to hold up to all the embellishments that you're going to layer on top of this thing. Amazing! I can't wait to get out my scissors and give it a try. Thanks, Cynthia, for sharing that with us today. The more I hear about Creative Bug, the more impressed I am with this incredible service. And speaking of which, here comes Ethan to share his findings with us. Hello, Ethan. A few years ago, I took part in a watercolor painting workshop that was absolutely perfect. It was a warm June afternoon, and we were outdoors in the Michigan woods. Handmade bunting hung from the canopy that shaded us from the summer sun. All around me were friends, happily painting. Our easy banter rose and fell as we grew absorbed in our work. I pushed the paint around the paper with no particular goal. As I watched an image start to form, I savored the slow movement of pigment through water, breeze through leaves, and laughter around the table. All my cares and worries were far away, and I had nothing to do but paint. I soon found myself in a state of profound calm. The other day, I got out my paints and brushes and tried to revisit that peaceful time. For instruction, I turned to Creative Bug. I was immediately drawn to a class titled Playing with Watercolor. In the introduction, teacher Lindsay Stripling climbs a tree in order to watch a river flow gently through Golden Gate Park. This seemed to promise just the kind of soothing experience I was looking for, so I filled a jar with water and began to paint. But this time, my afternoon was less than perfect. Heaps of rumpled laundry and unwashed dishes demanded my attention. A hungry cat cried out for food. Across the room, one child loudly accused the other of having his feet on her side of the couch. And just at the edge of hearing, the faint wail of an ambulance was a reminder of the horrifying world outside my walls. When the lockdown first began, 
It had been tempting to view it as a kind of creative retreat. But by now it was clear. Staying home hadn't given me any distance from my responsibilities. Instead, it had collapsed the distance between them. School, work, and home were now all one and the same. To sit in the midst of all that and try to paint seemed both difficult and absurd. In her airy San Francisco studio, Lindsay Stripling was quietly layering washes of bright color. At my messy dining room table, I was doing my best to keep up. Despite the many interruptions and distractions, I was able to progress in rapid bursts. I soon found that watercolor was the right medium for this approach. When you're working with watercolor, you can't spend too much time refining the details. As Lindsay Stripling cautions, this type of overwork will cause the cotton-based paper to pill like an old t-shirt. So your only choice is to make a quick gesture and then find a way to work with it. Throughout history, people have used watercolor in just this way to make paintings while still keeping pace with the world around them. Renaissance artists used watercolor as a way to grab hold of their most fleeting ideas. 18th century tourists used watercolor paintings to help them remember the sights they passed on their journeys. And 19th century ornithologist John James Audubon made beautiful use of watercolor in recording his observations of birds by painting in the midst of my busy home, I was playing a small part in a long and distinguished tradition. The highlight of the watercolor class was the lesson on creating what Lindsay Stripling calls a landscape orb. In this Instagram-worthy project, I drew a circle, then pulled paint from the top and bottom to form a horizon line. I then added color and texture with the aim of creating a miniature nature scene. My first couple of attempts failed to cohere into anything resembling a landscape. But on my third try, I found myself painting a scene from the Michigan woods. There was the soft shape of the trees against the sky. Behind them, I could see one little drifting cloud and as I added some spots of sunlight, I began to feel a real connection to that bygone summer day and to the sense of calm I had been missing. Looking up from the paper, I still saw a messy room. And looking outside, I still saw a frightening world. But now I was able to meet all that with a little more grace and ease. Perfect summer afternoons are rare and fleeting so they can't be our only occasion for creative expression. If we want to lead creative lives, we have to find ways to express ourselves under even the most adverse conditions. Our library helps us do this by offering access to great online resources like CreativeBug. With your Baldwin Library card, you can find inspiration wherever you are. I enjoyed Lindsay Stripling's watercolor class and found it well suited to my situation. But if watercolor isn't for you, there are thousands of other options to choose from. Look for a project that you can do now with the materials you have on hand. Then make a commitment to see it through no matter what else is happening.
you're sure to find a fresh perspective that will help you through even the most difficult of days. Jody Lynn Burton is an illustrator with an appealing and distinctive style. She's the founder of an independent business, Jody Lynn's Emporium of Doodles, the creator of a long-running podcast, Detroit Craft Academy, and a pillar of the local creative community. Today, we've been looking at a resource the library offers to help our patrons explore their creativity. So we thought it would be interesting to talk to someone who has made that kind of creative exploration the focus of their life. We're very happy to have Jody Lynn Burton joining us for today's episode. Welcome, Jody Lynn. Thanks for having me. Let's to get started. Uh, let's let our listeners know where they can go online if they want to see or purchase or learn more about your work. Okay. Uh, if you want to find out a little bit about me, you can go to JodyLynnDoodles.com, and that's J-O-D-I-L-Y-N-N and then doodles.com. Um, and on that website, you can find links to my Etsy shop, my podcast, um, portfolio. There's all kinds of things on there. Right. And uh, for those listening who maybe haven't uh, had an opportunity to see your work, how would you uh, describe it to them? Um, I would kind of describe it as like naive, childish type of illustrations. Um, other people describe it as being very whimsical. Um, I have kind of an obsession with learning, so I get obsessed with different ideas that I'm researching and uh, kind of get into drawing all about whatever I'm researching, whether it be um, figures throughout history or different types of objects like vintage cameras or instruments or other things like that and a lot of city drawings as well. How did you decide which cities to use for your city drawings? Um, in the cities, so I started out, um, the first city that I drew was Hamtramck. I lived in Hamtramck for quite a while and I loved the ideas of how like the houses are all close together. So one day I started drawing it and then, um, then I did one of Detroit, and then from there, uh, I slowly got people asking for other cities, and as I traveled around to different art shows and art fairs, whenever I would do one in a different city, I would draw the city, which actually got me into really excited about going to other cities because I would you know, go on Google Maps and look at all these places and do all this research about the city. Um, I kind of realized that it would have been a really good job um, to, uh, for me as a travel agent because I got so into <laughs> researching all these things and, you know, and go to all these places and now I can actually go to the places that I drew. So it's kind of like a little like tourist map, but I talk to a lot of locals. So it's usually pretty uh, like locally spots. They're really cute. I love them. Thanks. And again, just to kind of help uh, people visualize what we're talking about when you're drawing these uh, cities or, or other other themes, uh, what are some of the, the tools and materials that you're using? So I actually um, draw everything in pen and ink, and then I use watercolor to color most of the things. I don't really use the computer very much at all. If anything, it's just to scan them in and zhuzh them up a little bit before that I um, <laughs> make 
um, prints of them, but I actually print every single piece myself too. A lot of people, like when they look at my stuff in person, they can't believe that they're digital prints. Um, I went to school for photography and I, after I learned how to print photos, when I started doing illustration work and I was, I was like, oh, I, I don't know how, how, where to get these printed. I sent them out to a whole bunch of places and when I got them back, I was kind of bummed out about the way they looked. So I did a whole bunch of research and learned how to print everything <laughs> myself. I think uh, for a lot of people, kind of the typical experience is I think most kids uh, love to draw mm -hmm. and then people kind of fall out of it as they, they get older. And so then, you know, very uh, relatively few adults uh, pursue it. Is this something that you have uh, had an interest in pretty steadily since childhood? Was there ever a time when you didn't yeah. draw? Well, you know, it's it's funny because I think back to my childhood and I mean, I, I was always drawing. Um, but most recently, my you know, we haven't been able to see each other at all because of the, the COVID-19. And my birthday was a couple weeks ago. And my mom and my dad made this video of, of themselves. And they found this little book I made when I was eight years old in school. And she's flipping through it. And she's like, you're going to love this. I said, like, what's your favorite sport? And my, I put my favorite sport was drawing. <laughs> <laughs> and in the back it says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it says an artist, which I thought that was really cool at eight years old. And here I am still doing the same thing. Yeah. So now, Jody, where are you from originally? Um, I grew up in Westland and then moved to Canton when I was 14. And then as soon as I turned 18, I moved to Hamtramck. Um, I would always go to punk rock shows and stuff downtown and uh, like all the art museums and stuff like that. And I just, I wanted to be around it. Okay. And then you said you studied photography. Where did you study? Um, I went to Wayne State University. And then I did end up taking a couple classes. Well, actually, I took a couple years at um, Washtenaw Community College because they have a really good photography program over there, too. And so then at what point uh, did you decide that you, you wanted to turn uh, drawing into to more of a business? When did that all begin? I used to work as a photographer and travel around the country with a, uh, a dance group, and I would photograph them. and when I was doing this, I somebody gave me a packet of Shrinky Dinks, and I thought, oh, it would be really cool to uh, draw something on the Shrinky Dinks, and I'm a huge science nerd, and I drew Carl Sagan on one of the Shrinky Dinks, <laughs> put it in the oven, shrunk it, shrunk it down, put it on the fridge, and then I had some people over for dinner or something, and everyone, oh, where'd you get that? I want, will you make me one? And then I ended up making you know, a couple for people. Then it was like, oh, you got Carl Sagan. Can you do Freud? Can you do this person? Can you do that person? So I started doing all these portraits of different scientists and psychologists and stuff and putting on magnets. And a friend of mine, was, you should, have you ever thought about like selling these actually? No, not at all. And he um, helped me apply for, um, not Dipsy. What was the show before Dipsy? 
Uh, Shadow, Shadow Art Fair. Shadow Art Fair in, in Ypsilanti. That was my first show that I ever did. Um, and I sold out of every single magnet that I brought, um, which was just like, you know, here I am, never home, traveling around the country. And in what, like, the day that that Shadow Art Fair was, I mean, I made more money selling magnets that I, that than I had like working a week doing this photography thing. I was like, hmm, I should apply to another craft show. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I did I did a couple here and there, and you know, I ended up working at a place called Tech Shop, which is a makerspace. Uh, was a makerspace. It actually um, went out of business. But uh, they had a lot of CNC machines there. And I got uh, learned how to use the laser cutter. And then as I was there, it gave me the opportunity to work on my business and kind of bring in these illustration stuff with making projects. And it got to the point where I ended up doing so many shows that my job, my full-time job was getting in the way of me um, building my business. So I ended up like taking a look at me like, I'm actually making more money doing art fairs than I am working full-time here. And I could, you know, do more if I had more time. So I ended up quitting and I've been full-time illustrator now for about five years. What uh, so now? Now that you are working full time uh, as an illustrator, what would a, a typical work day look like for you? Well, it's taken me a while to actually figure out that for myself because um, working for yourself and working at home is pretty. You know, trying to keep a schedule, it's it's really easy to get distracted, but. Typically, you know, I wake up every morning, I try and like get, do something like go running or just so I can like, you know, get energy out and then, you know, make coffee and then I get to work on different projects and stuff like, yeah, Mondays I spend the day like packaging orders and stuff like that. And then, um, I do a lot of commissions and custom orders. So throughout the week, I also work on those like today. I all, all morning I was working on a custom house portrait. So I get a lot of people that want portraits of their houses or different portraits of like um, places that they've lived. Um, I get all kinds of commissions. I love working on projects with people. It's a lot of fun. Like even uh, coming up here, I have another one of um, – a very small town city somebody grew up in and they wanted a, a city portrait of it. So you asked me how some of the cities come to be. <laughs> That's it. It's interesting. Uh, it occurs to me listening to you, a lot of people now are uh, kind of struggling to learn how to, to work from home and, and make that work for themselves. And it's something that uh, you and other people uh, working in your field have kind of, of pioneered to some extent mm-hmm. um, and have a little more experience with. It sounds like maybe one one tip you would give people in that situation is to to make themselves a, a schedule. It seems like that might be a key. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, 
on a day to day when you are used to going to a place of business to work, at least you have like the rest of your day set up, right? So like, you know, like, okay, when I get home, I have to do X, Y, Z. Um, but when you work from home, you can do X, Y, Z any time of day, you know, <laughs> like that was like huge for me. Um, but now it's like, you would think that I have this all down, but I'm not used to having people home all day oh, while uh, I'm here too. So <laughs> that's a little bit of a struggle for me. <laughs> um, I'm not complaining. I absolutely love, I, I love being able to spend time with my family and, you know, be home all day with them. But it, as far as like projects, sometimes it can be a little bit of a struggle because I, I get distracted. Like, I would rather like hang out with you guys and do whatever this is. Um, but like, as far as like keeping a schedule, it's, it is very important to keep a schedule. Are there any other uh, pieces of advice like that, that, that you would share with somebody who's, who's kind of just, just starting to. Well, I think like as an entrepreneur and as like somebody that runs my own business and works from home, like one key thing that has always been like a huge struggle for me is self care. And like part of that is I found very interesting now that I see a lot of people at home and you're like trying to like wear all these hats at home. Right. So like, I think that all it also like very goes into like, you should be definitely taking care of yourself while you're stuck at home now too. So mm -hmm. like trying to get out and like go for a walk, you know, cause I like that has been huge for me. Cause like normally if I was able to, I would be going to parks or like, you know, going just to get out of the house. Cause I'm so used to being in the house all the time with work. Like when my boyfriend would come home from work, I would like just blah, 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 like cause I don't have to talk to anyone all day. Right. And now I have somebody to talk to all day. It's great. Um, but having that like time to step out of the house, it feels like, okay, I have to figure that out. So like actually going for a walk or a bike ride or like walking the dog or something like that. It's, it's important if you can. Or even um, we've been doing, we just started doing, there's a, a really good YouTube yoga called yoga with Adrian and neither of us have ever done yoga in our lives. Like I'm, I've always been like, oh, I don't, I don't do yoga. That's that I would do. <laughs> and we did it, and it's a lot harder than we thought. We're like, oh, it's just stretching. No, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, my my son and I uh, tried to do a YouTube video that was billed as yoga for kids uh, the other day because we felt like mm -hmm. we'd been sitting around the house for a long time and needed to get some exercise. And yoga for kids was a little too much for me. I was. I was exhausted by the time it was over. We tried that at my house too. We decided to do a family yoga event and there were all sorts of cracking sounds that came from the adults. <laughs> it was not a good scene. Yeah, but as far as like workflow goes, like I know it's, if you've never worked from home before, it can be really distracting to like sit down and do something. Like I find that small rituals help too. Like whenever I like have a project that I really, really need to get working on and I 
just feel very distracted, I make a cup of tea and I bring it into the office. And just like the idea of like, you have your tea, you have to sit down and you have to work and like forcing myself to sit down. That helps somewhat. Um, just because it's like, it's almost like if you've ever like been in a classroom, you, people tend to sit in the same spot every time. Mm-hmm. If you were to sit in the same spot in a classroom and, and if you were to take a test in that spot, like you just, you, you like automatically like get in the flow of things. But if you were to like sit in a different spot every single time, you might be really distracted. It creates a pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, it's like a little mental trick. Tea is amazing that way, isn't it? Because it's really only good when it's just piping hot. So it does force you to kind of sit down with with your cup of tea. You can't really get distracted and wander away or else the tea will become terrible really quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it could it could be anything, though. Like if you don't like tea, you could like have a favorite song that you put on, like right when you're getting ready to, to like, you know, get in the flow of work or. So now do you have a special playlist that you listen to while you're working? Um. No, not really. My musical taste is all over the board. Um, it, it ranges from <laughs> it ranges from everything from like indie to hip hop to country. So like, I have no absolutely like <laughs> no like f- filter. Like one day I'll be listening to opera, and then two seconds later I'll be listening to Dolly Parton. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's welcome. Yes. Yes. I like, I like all music. So uh, in addition to your, your illustration business, um, you also uh, are known as the creator of the long running podcast, Detroit Craft Academy. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, tell our listeners who, who may not have, have heard it uh, a little bit about the kinds of guests and topics that, that would be covered on that podcast? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, Detroit Craft Academy was an idea that I got when I was doing festivals every single weekend. Um, I traveled around a lot. And so a lot of that, like I traveled to Nashville and then I would go to Chicago and then I would go all over the place. And I got to meet all these amazing people that created all of these really cool things. And I realized that I might come off as a creep sometime because I'm just like at wanting to ask them a million and one questions. <laughs> and then I was like, well, it would probably be cool if I come up with a podcast. Cause then I could like share people's stories and, you know, actually like, you know, come up with all these different questions that, you know, after the fact that I'd be like, Oh man, like, how do they do this? Or, you know, just, yeah, I could like sit down and actually write them all down. Um, and while I was doing this, you know, at first it was kind of just like a fun kind of interrogation uh, <laughs> show that I was like, what did you do? How did you do it? Like, you know, just wanting to know how everyone does their business. But then it, it became really cool. Cause I saw all these like common threads between different people, like, you know, the struggle of working from home the struggle of um, running a business and being a woman, like the str- like there was just like all of these different, different things that I found. And it was just 
really great to hear all these different stories from people and how they started their businesses and the struggles that they've had to create the businesses. And um, it has really just become a passion project for me. One thing that uh, I really appreciate about Detroit Craft Academy is that uh, you and your guests often dig pretty deep into the creative process. You know, mm -hmm. we really explore on a pretty profound level uh, how people kind of create and um, come up with ideas and, and bring them out into the world, uh, really kind of digging into um, their mind and, uh, for lack of a better word, their spirit on, on a pretty deep level. Um, what are, are there any uh, insights that you learn from that about the creative process that maybe you could, could share with us? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think creativity is a little bit different for each and every person. Um, it's interesting to see where people get their inspiration from. And especially because a lot of the people that I interview may not be, um, straight up like artisans. They are artisans of their craft, but like I interviewed um, the guy that owns Nike Butter, for example, and just hearing the connections between people's creativity and how a lot of it has to do with community, like um, his story of how. I don't know. Do you, do you know what Nike Butter is? Well, let's just to make sure all of our listeners are, are following along. Let's let's have a brief, brief yeah, discussion. Yeah. For ever, anyone that's listening and you've never heard, Nike Butter is a local Detroit peanut butter with chocolate in it. There's another company in Detroit called Bon Bon Bon. They're delicious little chocolate bonds. Um, and Evan went to... Alex, who owns Bon Bon Bon, and she helped him figure out everything about how to do his chocolate peanut butter that he makes. They didn't even know each other. He just called her up one day out of the blue, and she was like, okay, sure, come on over. Let's do some tasting experiments, and it's really cool to see how, you know, that, and that's just one of the stories that I got from the podcasting. But it's, it's really cool to see how people are so connected in the craft and art community um, that, like, you know, there's, there's another um, girl, her name is Chantel. She owns uh, Mitten Made. She's originally from Alaska, and she's, uh, she does crochet stuff. Um, and recently, right before um, the whole coronavirus thing, she just started a granola company. Uh, so she's been trying to like launch this business during this whole pandemic. But it's like, she, she's like, well, I'll just, I can't do fairs. It's like where, where we as sellers normally sell our, our wares, right? We go to Eastern market or we go, you know, to local farm markets or whatever. I'm going to do porch deliveries. How cool is that? Like, she's just like, get the word out, look at this granola. I'm from Alaska, I know how to make this stuff. Like, it's just super cool to see, you know, that community, that that inspiration, it's, it's still there. Like, 
people are still inspiring other people in the same way they did before the virus. Like now it's just like digital and like, does that make sense? It does. Do you have uh, any further examples where you've seen that happening where um, people are, are kind of, still able to share those kind of, of community connections and, and support each other's endeavors. Um, Oh, like, like right now. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like, you know, a lot of the, so as an, as an artist, one of the, one of the struggles that I'm having along with hundreds of uh, hundreds and thousands of other artisans and makers and small business owners that rely on events to, run their business. Like my business was completely dependent upon traveling around and doing art fairs. Um, luckily, I've started doing commissions and stuff, so which is something new that I'm doing. But um, <laughs> uh, a lot of art fairs had to cancel. And the art fairs, are a lot of them are run by makers and artists themselves. So a lot of people are having digital art fairs where or like sharing chains almost where artists will do like uh, artists supporting artists so it's like a hashtag or they'll they'll link to different people on instagram or facebook or um i've seen a couple shows where they've actually set up a virtual craft fair on their website um and there was a couple people I saw that did Instagram takeovers of different art fairs where they actually set up their tent in their backyard and went around with a video camera and you could like see what's in the thing and you could <laughs> shop live on like Facebook live or whatever. <laughs> you still want to get the experience. <laughs> Maybe we'll, this is where uh, virtual reality glasses would come in. <laughs> is there anything uh, that you've purchased recently, like since all of this happened that you were really excited about from, an, from another artist? Yeah. Um, you know, I have a bunch of friends that I constantly am, am buying stuff from, like there's cellar door soap in Plymouth, Michigan. I cannot live without their soap and I usually <laughs> stock up during art fairs. So, you know, I've, I've bought a ton of their soap. I've bought candles from other people or just you know other things um just from cool critters these really cute little furry wild monster guys she just she moved to she's originally from michigan but she moved to cleveland and bought a house and uh i bought some things from her she's making masks now which has become you know everyone's making masks now but uh, they're such they're in such high demand and i guess uh looking at it from the the other side if there are people listening now um who uh, are, are feeling inspired to support their local creative community uh, during a difficult time what are some some steps that they should take to do that well you can definitely go on etsy and if you want to support local uh you can go to places like Etsy and um, search your zip code or your area code. You can search locally in Michigan, so you can like buy from local makers. Uh, another place you can go to is the Handmade Detroit um, 
Instagram or Facebook page. They've been having a lot of local makers take over their Instagram so that you can see what everyone else is up to and see different stories. Then you'll get the opportunity to follow different people as well. Um, a lot of different hashtags like support, hashtag support artists, hashtag support local artists. You can even do like Detroit artists. Um, there's, there's a ton of different, different ways to find local artists online. I think that might be a, a nice note for us to end on. Uh, but before we go one more time, uh, for those who may have missed it, can you remind our listeners where they can find you and your work online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on my website at jodylindoodles.com uh, or you can find um, detroitcraftacademy.com for my podcast. Um, and if you follow me on Instagram, it's just jodylindoodles on there too. I'm pretty easy to find. If you type in Jody Lynn and doodles anywhere, <laughs> any search thing, you'll see my ugly mug pop up somewhere. <laughs> you come right up. Very <laughs> cute. Well, thanks so much, Jody Lynn. We've, we've really enjoyed this conversation and we're uh, grateful to you for, for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been yeah. great. And with that, as all things must, we have reached the end of our episode. From all of us at Baldwin Public Library in Birmingham, Michigan, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Beeple People Podcast.